Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and today we have a special guest with us. It was very kind of him to show up, unlike his team. United winning 3-1, but Zaman Ali is here to join us. Zaman, longtime friend, longtime Spurs fan, tough blow today. Yeah, honestly, man, uh, thank you so much for having me on the, on the podcast today. Uh, yeah, it's really tough. I really wish you had called me on for the last game we we had. That would have been much more fun for me. Uh, this this may not be as uh, as fun, but yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting game. Interesting. A lot of controversy, a lot of talking points in this match. Uh, Tottenham getting the first goal, and then United kind of dominating in the second half. Carl, how are you feeling? Hey Vivek, it's been a while since we've both been on the show together. So so glad to have the uh, the number one tag team back. As you made that WrestleMania reference in the last episode, <laughs> <laughs> and what a way to come back, right? RCB won uh, their IPL opener. Raptors had a huge win last night, eighty seven points in the first half. Gary Trent forty four points, and now United getting the business done. And, and you can throw in the Blue Jays uh, smack in the Angels fifteen to one. So it's it's been a good day for for most of us uh, on the show <laughs> but Vivek you know what that, that was quite uh, quite the game to be honest I was expecting a very cagey affair given both teams like to play on the counter-attack so it was who's going to make the first move and you kind of saw a lot of that in the first half right it was just possession based but not going anywhere with the possession and then the game just sprung into life after that disallowed goal and then a couple of minutes later San putting it in the back of the net really getting uh a lot of the United fans' blood boiling, uh, myself included. I was speaking to Zaman Ali off air at halftime, and I was like, I need a timeout, man. I'm just too angry right now. So uh, all in all, <laughs> I guess at the end of the day, you know, it was a, it was a great performance from United, especially in the second half. I haven't seen passing that crisp in a long time. Z, let's go back to the start of the match. United, obviously, they shaped up the way you would expect, 4-2-3-1. I don't think there were any real surprises in a lineup. Big match, they go in with Scott and Fred. If there was anything to debate, it was probably who was going to be in net, whether it was going to be De Gea, whether it was going to be Henderson. Carl, we can get into that in a second. But on the Spurs side of things, were there any surprises for you, Zaman? Uh, yeah, there, there were a few. So um, Dyer coming back into the lineup, um, I think the last time he played was against Zagreb and, and that really wasn't a great performance. So I was a little bit surprised. Um, that being said, our, like the other option is Sanchez and we all know what he does when he comes in. So there, there's always a mistake to be had there. I actually was hoping Toby was going to come back and I'm not sure why he hasn't started yet. Uh, I know he missed the last game. There was some speculation about it, but um, I was really hoping he was going to be back in the lineup uh, today. Uh, beside Rodon, that would have been great. I love seeing that guy in there. He's young. He's he's working hard. And uh, yeah, he probably has a mistake in him, but nothing worse than what Sanchez or, you know, Dyer is going to do. So uh, there was that. Regulon expected. Um, Serge uh, Aurier back was, was a bit of a surprise as well, but that was nice. It was definitely nice for us. Yeah, yeah, he he did uh, he did all right. Uh, he did get kind of manhandled by Pogba afterwards, but uh, you know he 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 did a he did a good job. I, I don't really have any complaints about that. Um, the midfield and uh, the attacking was was pretty much what you'd expect um, for, for everyone who's healthy. So yeah, I wasn't too surprised with the lineup. Carl, any surprises for you before we get into the Henderson versus De Gea debate? And you know maybe if anything, Pogba getting to start out on the left uh, with Rashford on the right. Yeah, so that would have been, apart from the Henderson position, that would have been the other surprise for me. I think you called it actually on the last episode with Mike Michael Singh, where you said he was going to play on the right, and there's a bit of a conversation around that. So well done there, Vivek. Uh, I mean, it looked like they put Rashford on the right and Pogba on the left, and Pogba really enjoys playing that position. You could see the way he had the confidence to take the ball down with a couple of guys around him. Man, super impressive. I think the only foot he put wrong was when he tried to backheel it into the net. After <laughs> Actually, that was a really great stop by Dyer. I, I give him shit, but he put a foot in there and that was fabulous. That, that was true. He did stop it. He didn't, even, he didn't require a save from uh, Loris either. But Vivek, to answer your question, that would have been the only surprise. But obviously, it paid off uh, from Ole's standpoint. And United definitely had a lot of attacking threat because of it. 
Yeah, I think one thing that was a bit of a surprise to me was when United looked for that aerial ball, it was to Pogba and not so much Cavani. Cavani was getting more involved when he was doing that trademark show deeper, play the little one touch and then make the run back into the box. So it was interesting to see how well they used Pogba aerially. Now, let's get into De Gea versus Henderson. I feel like this might continue on for just a little bit, but is it safe to say now that De Gea and Henderson have clearly swapped roles and that Henderson is the one for the league games and that De Gea is the one for the cup competitions? Yes, I believe so. I think today we were looking for an answer and I think we got it. There's no way Henderson would have started if he's not the number one keeper. The only thing I can see, and the commentators alluded to this, is that we're playing a game every three days and United are in two competitions. And as long as they're still in the Europa League, I don't think one keeper is going to be more upset than the other because they're both getting equal playing time. If United get eliminated from the Europa League and now one keeper is just sitting on the bench and if that keeper is De Gea, then you're going to see the media going into overdrive when it comes to these stories. I'm really surprised they haven't gone into overdrive just yet. I know Ole gets asked this question every time, but (laughs) he seems to be uh, very good at playing that diplomatic answer where he said, you know, either keeper, I don't, I have two number ones, but I think it's, it's plain and obvious to see that Henderson is the number one in, in my opinion. What about you, Vivek? You think uh, you think it's confirmed? Yeah, I think it's confirmed as well. I think the same way at the start of the season, De Gea was handed the number one and said, and basically told, give me a reason to take you out. I think Henderson has the main job now, and it's up to him to show that, hey, he he absolutely should be there. Zaman, I'm curious on what your thoughts are on uh, Henderson versus De Gea and the impressions you've got from either keeper. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it did seem like the changing of the guard was happening there where, um, you know, Henderson was coming in. Uh, He's young. He's English. Uh, Man, that is like, you know, really sought after in the Premier League. So something as valuable as that, I think, needs to be like fostered a little bit. Dehaz had a really good run, man. Like, you know, thank him for his uh, his efforts and maybe, you know, send him on his way. Again, like not not right away. What I'm saying is, is I just think it was a you know, maybe a good change and uh, some good competition. I don't think it's a bad thing. Now, looking at the tactical matchups, I think one of the more spicier things to look out for was how Bruno was going to fare against Hoiberg. And so I did think Hoiberg did a really good job, you know, man-marking him, giving him very little room to operate. And that's where you also see the value of Pogba, where... If Pogba is not around, then that's pretty much three quarters of the job done against United uh, from an attacking standpoint. And But because Pogba is there to be that other outlet, to create those other opportunities, it becomes that much more of a challenge. What did you make of that individual matchup, uh, Zaman, between Ahoybe and Bruno and how Tottenham coped with everything else? Yeah, man. Hoiberg's a Viking. I, I love that dude. He is an absolute beast. Um, I was so excited when we got him from Southampton. Uh, they seem to be like a little feeder club of ours. So I, I really enjoy that. Um, and, you know, he was their captain there. So, you know, when we bought him, we brought over a captain. This guy, he's really acted like one. He's really showed up. Uh, he shows the uh, the compassion and all, like, just just going for it. Uh, you feel he's playing for the badge. And I, and I just love that to, to see that. The matchup today was was pretty good. I, I thought he shut him down quite significantly in the first half. Um, it got a little less because I think he uh, he was then split between Bruno and Pogba, and it was when there's two of them, <laughs> man, it's hard to to contain both create uh, creative players. I think about ten or fifteen minutes in, I wrote down a little note for myself. I'm like, Pogba is like dangerous. He he was every time he got the ball, I was just concerned. Um, even like, I know we're going to get to this later, but that disallowed goal. Oh my God. Like he, you know, he kind of made that happen, right? Like <laughs> that pass and everything was, was, uh, pretty spectacular. So Carl, there was a bit of a warning sign as well he, that there, I think it was the 16th minute where Bruno is deep and he sends a long ball to Pogba. Pogba does brilliantly to take the ball down, lays it off to, uh, Cavani. And then one one touch to Rashford, who shoots wide. And that's where I think United just started to come into the game 
and you could sort of feel that okay Pogba is going to have to be a big influence today having thought about the starting lineups and and what happened i actually do think that ole caught jose out by surprise by playing pogba in the you know attacking front three because jose usually goes with musa sissoko to to help with hoiberg when it comes to the defensive side and Musa didn't play. Instead, Lo Celso plays, which is more of an attacking player. I had a feeling that Jose thought that Pogba was going to be one of the two DMs for United, where he's sitting a little deeper. And so he didn't have to play two DMs of his own. And Lo Celso can go. And he knows that Pogba, if he wanders up, there's going to be more space for Lo Celso. That didn't end up happening because Scott and Fred were marking that space the whole time. So I think that's that's something that I noticed. I, I must say, Hoiberg absolutely marked Bruno out of this game. The first half, until the very end, I actually didn't know Bruno was playing. <laughs> it, was, it was only at the end where I noticed, okay, he, he, he threw a bit of a tantrum. That's when I was like, okay, Bruno's on the field today. But I thought uh, Pierre did a fantastic job. Man, Paul Pogba was on a different planet. Not only did he have his first touch, but aerially, like you pointed out, Vivek, he was he's winning balls either with his head or chesting them down. As Zaman mentioned, I think towards the end of the game, Aurier just couldn't take the ball off of Paul. He just, once he's shielding it, it's hard to take it off of that guy. I would hate to be a defender in that situation. So I think that tactically, I think that was something that uh, Jose wasn't expecting. I think we should get into the goal that was disallowed now. Scott McTominay is in possession. Hyungman Son reaches out his intent is to grab scott and stop the play he doesn't make contact but mctominay feeling that he's there tries to brush him off and accidentally accidentally brushes his face son makes the most of it united go up the field pogba shows great patience to play the ball through to cavani Cavani tucks the ball into the back of the net. The goal is disallowed for the contact McTominay makes with Son. Carl, I'll start with you. What were your impressions of that call? Vivek, I was in complete disbelief once that call was made. So once I saw them taking a bit of time to review this, I was like, hang on a minute here. This looks like they might actually reverse this. And then as soon as a ref was sent to the monitor, they kept showing the replay I was looking at all sorts of different things to see how this can be overturned. Looking to see if Scott was looking at Son when he hit him. That wasn't the case. Looking to see if Scott had any intent with a balled up fist or anything. That wasn't the case. It was just his fingers. And it it's just one of those things where you're trying to get the player off of you. If they're calling that, every corner kick should be a penalty. Because the amount of times you're pushing players off with intent <laughs> to get some space... I mean, earlier on in the game, Rashford got a poke in the face, not even close to being a foul. Get up, play on kind of thing. And that's exactly what happened. It was right in front of the linesman. So to see all of that go down and then the goal get reversed, it was surprising to say the least. Zaman, what's the uh, Spurs perspective on that one? Yeah, I I really like strongly disagree. Um, And only because of, I'd say like past, calls that have been made um i do agree with you guys that like that call was kind of soft right like you get a little tap in the face and you go down i I get it and i was thinking like when it happened obviously i was furious i was fuming throwing things um but yeah you know i was uh like sun was never going to come back and impact that play in any way so i didn't really think that you know there was anything in that but we can go back a couple of games and look at Lamella getting a red card for something very similar where he was just protecting the ball. Somebody was coming up behind him and he got a yellow card and sent off like a second yellow for that and sent off. So if things like that are going to happen, um, I, I just have to say like the in a sense being consistent, but then as you mentioned, uh, Rashford got an elbow. I think Pogba elbowed somebody in like the eighth minute oh, yeah. um, and then there was no call as well. So I, I assumed the sun call wasn't going to happen when it when it first happened, but I'm really happy it did. You know what, Zaman, the, the point you're referring to about Lamella, that was when Spurs played Arsenal. Lamella was on a yellow card, and yes, similar things happened where Lamella kind of pushed some guy in the face. I think it was Lacazette, and then got his marching orders because it was a second yellow. So to your point, the part that was surprising to me is 
okay, why why didn't Scott get a second yellow and get sent off in that case, right? So that, that... I was actually really hoping for a second yellow, to be honest with you. I, I was cheering for one, but, uh, you know, I, I get that that didn't happen. That would have been a bit harsh, as I felt that the Lamella second yellow was harsh as well. I do think the Lamella yellow was harsh. I did think that was different than what happened here, though, because in this case, well, in Lamella's case, there was no contact made yet. There was no attempt to drag him back or anything like he had full out gone into the stiff arm and like given him like a like a stiff full proper stiff arm. And that was coming off the previous yellow. You know Lamella's history as well. And so I think that sort of nuance has to apply when you're the referee. Part of why they have the referees go to the monitor is because they understand the atmosphere of the game. They understand the players. They understand the perspective in which the specific match is being played. And so that's where I was baffled at how you look at that instance and say that's a foul. I think they have to set a precedent where this cannot continue. That type of call absolutely cannot continue. I agree. If they were to go and not make that call every time, I would be happy with that. Maybe some of the Spurs fans out there can can agree with me and just say we've, we've been pretty hard done by a lot of bad calls. To Just to protect Lamella for, for just a moment because, uh, you know... It's a little soft spot in my heart there. Um, <laughs> it's the, the first red card he's gotten for Spurs, yeah? So he may have that temperament, but he doesn't normally do things that get him sent off. So if we want to take a look at the character of the player, let's take a look and say that, you know what, he's not that kind of guy. Um, he knows when to toe the line, but probably not when to go over it. Um, and like I said, I'm willing to take the, the licks when it comes, but then it's got to come to everyone too. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Uh, I think the only thing I would add with Lamella is, you know, we've seen several times where he does his job, picks up the yellow, and then he's subbed off before anything else can happen. <laughs> yeah, that's tactical. I, I, I totally agree. <laughs> so I, him yeah. not getting a red card before, I think, is... A... <laughs> that's fair. And and today, to be honest, I saw a bit of Lo Celso and I was like, oh my God, I thought Lamella was out there, man. He was going into some tackles, <laughs> sliding around. It was, it, you know... Sweaty palms after that, so it was uh, was good. And then adding to the drama, just a few minutes later, Tottenham have the ball. It was a great layoff from Harry Kane after a great ball by Ndombele, but that ball should not be going right through Victor Lindelof. The job he did to make sure he didn't touch the ball, to me, was... I'm amazed. I'm amazed. I, I don't have any other words for it. And then, obviously, uh, Lucas Moura gets the ball. You think a shot's coming, but he actually squares it to Son, who scores. I think that just got everyone's emotions to a different level, especially the United players. And I think we saw that play out the rest of the half and even maybe a little bit to start the second half. Carl, what was your reaction when the goal happened? Blood boiling, like absolutely (laughs) simmering. To be honest, I was livid just because it was Son. but. Also because we were so poor defensively to concede that goal. It was great play from Tottenham. But then when you look on the replay, yeah, Lindelof did his utmost best not to touch the ball. And then you had Aaron Wan-Bissaka who had to shift over to cover Kane because Lindelof was in no man's land. And then for some reason, Rashford just stopped tracking back and let Son run on. So Son's wide open at the far post. Dean Henderson tries his level best to get across. And I thought he made up a lot of ground to even come close to saving that ball. Because in most instances, it's just an open goal that Son slots home. And, you know, Son had the composure to slot it home and spurs up 1-0 right where United wanted them. (laughs) That's a good point you make, Carl. United now, uh, after this match, 28 points that they've recovered from losing positions far and away the league leader in that category. It was going to be interesting to see how they responded to the goal because we saw, and we talked about this when when we were chatting as the game was going on, United definitely lost their composure after that goal. You could see some of the tackles, some of the reactions. Luke Shaw was getting into it a little bit. Cavani was getting into it a little bit. Bruno was getting into it. Harry Maguire. So I think when you look at the way things turned around in the second half, we have to give Ole Gunnar Solskjaer his due. The response that they showed, clearly whatever he said 
at halftime worked. I'm curious to get Zaman's perspective on, first of all, Spurs now 1-0 up heading into halftime. What would you be telling your players at halftime coming out of the second half, knowing how important it is to get the three points and keep yourself in the running for the top four? So are you asking me what I would say or what I think like uh, Jose said? Uh, why don't you give your opinion of what, what you'd have done and then what do you think Spurs did? Uh, yeah, well, what I would have done is... Uh, Again, ju- just based on my, my love of, you know, Spurs, like, I've just enjoyed watching them attack. I would love for them to go out, you know, replicate the 6-1, man. And if you can't, just go out and just bang some goals, man, because you, you needed to do that. You knew you were going to concede. There was always going to be an error at the back that was going to leave us open. And, you know, against United, you like, I think in the first leg as well, like, you guys went up uh, early on. So it was always one of those things where I, I did, definitely thought a penalty was going to be called for you guys. I I, I was <laughs> sure you guys were going to get one, um, but you know that didn't happen. So you got it. You found it a different way. So f- for us, it would have been hey, like go out there, score more than them because like it's coming, <laughs> you know. Which obviously not maybe not in those words, but and then with Jose, man, I, I just like I don't know what he says to them. But it always seems like that second half or later in the games, they all seem tired and lethargic and disinterested. And I, I don't know what it is or, or what it isn't, but it, it's sometimes really disappointing to see, you know. Vivek, what was your perspective on the way United came out in the second half? Do you think tactically they made any changes or was it just a change in mentality and and the injustice that got them spurred on? No pun intended. <laughs> Tactically, I don't think there was too much that was changed. I think, uh, if anything, you know, Pogba, I thought his movement, uh, I thought his uh, positioning was a bit different. I would say he was even more involved in deeper positions. Whereas I think in the first half, maybe we saw him a lot more again in that attacking third. But this time, I think when you look at that second half, I feel like, you know, maybe it was just him just looking to boss the game and just show that he can be the best player on the pitch, you know, when he's up for it, when he's in the mood. Yeah, this is this has become a real theme this season, right? Whenever Pogba has been there, whenever Pogba has been at his best, he has dictated matches. He has absolutely dominated them. And I think we saw him rise to the occasion, rise to another level. They were all charged up. And luckily, they, they were able to translate maybe some of that negative energy, get past it. I think I think it was really important that they got the goal early. Like to score in the 56th minute and to be on level terms and say, okay, we're back in this now. I think if it drags on 65th minute, 70th minute, you still haven't got a goal. I think, I think that's where it can get difficult. And so I think to level in the 56th was huge. What did you make of the uh, Fred magic? I don't think that was a tactical change. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's a really well-worked move. The one thing I'll say from a Tottenham perspective when when they slowed it down, you could see that Son was in the defensive midfielder position and marking Fred in the middle of the pitch really deep. He was right in front of his back line on the edge of the 30-yard box to give you an idea of how deep Spurs were playing. So I think that was a tactical mistake on behalf of Spurs. But then again, like that's the style they play where they like to park the bus in, in, a, in a way where they don't want to concede. And then just a couple of quick touches... You know, Aurier had to come out now to get to Fred. And this is the magic of Cavani. Cavani sees that space where Aurier is left, comes right into that space. He knows Fred's not going to pass it, but he's going to get the pass after the pass. That's what a lot of players don't see. A lot of youngsters miss that, right? Uh, I'm talking about Anthony Martial here as well. And (laughs) the ball goes in. Cavani's through on goal, takes another touch, shoots it. And then Fred's alive. I was really surprised by this, that he was even continuing his run, to be honest, because he's in uncharted territory at this point in the opposition's box and puts it into the roof of the net. Mind you, I was I was a little scared because I thought he kicked it over the net from uh, point, <laughs> blank la- point blank range. So all in all, I thought it was a really well-worked move. I would love to get Zaman's take on what he thought from a Tottenham perspective on the defending that was done there. You're asking me about Spurs defending. That's that, that's just painful topics right there. Um, but just, just to go back one second with uh, something Vivek said, um, you, you were you were really happy that you guys scored early on. 
that didn't actually surprise me or anything. And what I was really worried about was you guys were going to bang in two goals in like the 85th and 86th minute or something silly like that. Because <laughs> um, I know Spurs like to concede late on. So I was uh, I was a little bit wary of that happening. Um, they, they ripped the Band-Aid off quick for you. Yeah, you know, they, they did. So I was, uh, and you, you know, Spurs do that to me, right? They, they get this, this absolutely beautiful goal and, and make me all hopeful and everything. Uh, and then they take it away. So um, it was some, I got to say, pretty, pretty terrible defending. Um, Dyer just kind of, you know, put his hand up for that offside and then I think just stopped. He, he was ball watching as the ball came across him and just let Fred kind of smack it in there. Uh, you know, even when the ball came into Cavani the first time, he was basically behind him and just let him make the pass. You know, you got to close that down a little bit. And I just uh, was really disappointed with like uh, with with that with that specific tackle. And I guess this is the theme for Spurs is like this year, it's been a lot of individual errors and maybe even like one time errors in the game. Like I think there were some really good blocks that Dyer had. Uh, he sprayed the ball a few times really well, but Jesus Christ, you, you stood still and watched the ball go in the back of the net. That's that's unacceptable, man. Carl, you know, I, I love that you made the point about being surprised with Fred actually continuing his run because all through the match before this moment, every time I watched Fred on the ball, he was the definition of a momentum killer. And on that possession, he is the one maintaining the m- momentum. He is the one that carried it through to the end. And, you know, sometimes I almost feel like his sort of oxygen levels work sort of horizontally, where the further he gets into the final third, it's like you need an oxygen tank. The air gets real thin for Fred up there. (laughs) (laughs) And so he puts the ball in the back of the net. I mean, I am double checking. I'm like, you need a VAR for that one just to make sure. They cross the line. <laughs> Check everything on that. <laughs> Fred putting the back in the ball in the back of the net. That's a shock to me. United, I think after that, they really rose to the occasion. They felt, okay, they were the dominant side. And it looked to me like there was... I, I know the commentators are saying, oh, it's good to see both sides going back and forth. And there were definitely a couple of big saves that Dean Henderson made. But if I had to pick one side to win it from that point on... I felt like it was going to be United. And then 79th minute, that goal comes. Mason Greenwood comes on for Rashford uh, as a sub. Rashford, hopefully he'll be okay. He looked like he was in a bit of pain as he was uh, getting to the bench. But, I mean, that ball that Greenwood puts into the box, tailor-made for Cavani, super diving header into the corner. Lloris, I mean... In terms of the saves that both keepers made in this one, I think Lloris and Henderson can be proud of, uh, you know, regard- regardless of the team results, I think both can be proud of the games that they had. Lloris, especially the one save that he had on Bruno from outside the box, that, that was incredible. Any complaints on your end about that goal uh, for United to take the lead there, Zaman? Yeah, I can't complain at all about that goal. Uh, that cross was spectacular. That diving header was spectacular. Uh, and, you know, coming from United's best striker, I agree. It was uh, it was definitely a really good finish. So I, I, I second what Zaman said. You, you know what? There was a small detail. Or they, they stopped when they were showing the replay. Just about where Mason was about to cross the ball, you could see Cavani already start to make the run before the ball was even played. Now, that right there is just, it takes a bit of, you know, mental fortitude to be able to do that. And I think just knowing where the ball is going to go, that uh, knows for the goal is something that makes Cavani El Matador, right? And that diving... Are you, are you trying to say that, like, team. not everyone on United is like is like that? Or, or there's not all the strikers have that mentality? Is that what you're trying to say? I think there's there's certain strikers on the pitch where they're more reactive than proactive. I think you know Mason Greenwood is is starting to get into that category of being more pro- proactive. You saw that with the goal against Brighton where he headed that in because he got into that space. Mm-hmm. I think you know Anthony Martial for example, he's more of the reactive striker who looks to, you know, maybe Look for those Fred type of goals, which goes into the the net after a rebound. But if <laughs> if Martial was the striker in that situation, I I don't know if he makes that run and gets the header in there. 
No, I'm with you. I, I don't think I don't think Marshall makes that run. I don't I don't think he's putting in a diving header like that. And even if he makes contact, I don't think it's going into the bottom corner the way Cavani was able to get it. Just going quickly back to the keepers, Dean Henderson. I mean, you talk about okay being put in a position where it's saying, "Hey, can you lose the job from here?" This was the type of performance where you look and say. He absolutely earned it. He absolutely earned the right to continue as the number one. Vivek, I have a point I want to make, actually, now that you're talking about Dean Henderson. Because there's a Please. couple of things that I noticed in the game. It happened in the 22nd minute and it happened in the 61st minute. Spurs were looking to get in behind our back line, which isn't the quickest. And Lucas Moura was actually in behind Harry Maguire. And Dean Henderson was off his line in a flash and was able to get to the ball before and clear it. Now, that's something that goes um, unnoticed in most situations, but this is one of United's Achilles' heel. Their defenders are not fast. When Eric Bailly is not playing, teams can get in behind and they can score. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what we've been calling for is a better centre-back partner to Harry Maguire, who has that pace, and so that way now we, we have another dimension. We can play a higher line, right? Now, when United's playing this mid-block, I wouldn't say a low block, I wouldn't say a high block, if you now have a keeper that can play like a sweeper keeper, like an Ederson, like a Manuel Neuer, now the weakness of the center backs who don't have pace, they're not exposed as much. And you know what, Vivek, you've been calling for this in the past where you said that De Gea's starting position is a little too deep in, in a lot of situations where he doesn't come out for a cross and punches it. De, uh, Dean Henderson doesn't have those issues. He did them in the 22nd minute and again in the 61st minute. Now, I think... We should watch out for that in the future because if he's continuing to play and coming out for those balls, it could add a new dimension to the way United play. Yeah, I have no arguments there. I think that's a big plus that Henderson has over De Gea, his command of the box. And you see his communication is always on point. You always hear him yelling, barking out instructions. When he's catching the ball, he's telling everyone to move up the pitch. You can hear it. That's the beauty of <laughs> no fans right now. You can you can hear uh, them say these things and his decision making from that standpoint I think is a clear edge that he has over De Gea you know maybe the shot stopping is where you get into more of a debate and the overall experience and all that but from that standpoint I completely agree with you he definitely does negate some of the disadvantage that you have when you play Maguire and Lindelof together because of his ability to just come out and clear the ball I still think it's important to have a defender with pace if you want to think about winning the biggest titles i think at least one of them has to have that high caliber pace because let's face it when you go up against the mbappes or if you have to go up against uh, a holland that's going to be a problem those are still questions that have to be addressed whether it's henderson or de gea but i definitely agree that a lot a good chunk of it is negated with Henderson around. I could easily see a nice uh, David De Gea for Harry Kane trade. What do you think? God, no. Not <laughs> Are you kidding me? Come on. Vivek, I think um, we should hand out some awards. What do you think? Let's start with the Cantona caller. I feel like there's a pretty clear-cut choice here. Uh, best player on the pitch for me, without question, was Paul Pogba. I don't know if there's much debate uh, on that end from either of you guys. Carl, we'll start with, start with you. No, Paul Pogba, hands down. I will, though, give a shout-out to Edinson Cavani. He made some fantastic runs. Yeah. Great hold-up play with his back to goal and just giving those one-touch passes. And you know what? Keeping the play ticking at a good tempo. But Paul Pogba all day. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. Um, uh, Pogba was just bossing the game the just all, all day. Um, but yeah, Cavani was actually going to be my, my second choice there. Uh, I'll say both of his goals because, man, even the one that they called off, that was a hell of a finish, right? So, yeah. Yeah, shout out to Cavani. I mean, this was a great performance from him. I thought, especially, you know, after those first 10, 15 minutes, I thought he was doing everything that you expect. And so uh, I'll give almost like a, a little super sub award to Mason Greenwood because I thought he was excellent after he came on. And so obviously he's not going to be in the running for the Canton caller uh, for being on for a few minutes. But I thought that was, again, like a, a truly match impacting performance from his end. 
We'll switch it up with the worst player on the pitch. Who's someone that really struggled for you out there? Someone who who gets the Beckham boot? Ooh, uh, this is kind of a tough one. Um, I actually want to give it to one of the goal scorers, man. I really didn't think Fred had like a super great game. Like he just he just didn't show up in a lot of places. Gave away the ball pretty easily. Um, that was a great finish for what it was, and it really helped his team rebound. But yeah, I would say like he he wasn't one of the, like my favorite out there. For me, it was Marcus Rashford. I think he deserves the boot. I thought he didn't have a standout game by any means. When he got the ball on the right-hand side, not too much threat. His decision-making was not the best either. A couple of runs. When Cavani put him through, you got to bang that in first time. He took another touch. Eric Dyer was able to come in and get the block. And then for the goal that was conceded, Marcus Rashford just went to sleep there. This One of the reasons you're playing on the right-hand side is to take care of Son because you know he can make those runs. And he didn't do that. So for me, uh, Marcus Rashford deserves a boot. Uh, what about you, Vivek? Yeah, I was actually looking at a Tottenham player since they did lose 3-1. Uh, I, I was actually looking at Serge Aurier. I didn't think he was particularly impressive in this match. I thought, especially when you look at United's attacking threat, when I look at the way Pogba bossed that left side, the spaces that Cavani was able to run into when you try to flip the script and think of, oh, Mourinho will think, oh, these are the spaces that will be left open by Pogba and this and that to attack. I think United took full advantage uh, on that left side and really made Tottenham pay. I know, obviously, the second goal United scored came from across from the right, but I just thought overall, Oria was pretty disappointing. And yeah, I just don't feel like giving it to a United player in a game that they win. <laughs> Let's yeah. agree to disagree, yeah? Because, uh, come on, all right? I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> or we could just give it to the entire Spurs team. Uh, you know, that doesn't sound better. That doesn't sound better. <laughs> the Let's give it to Jose, man. Let's give it to him. He needs an award. He needs a trophy or something. Jose? Are we giving it to Jose? He wants a trophy, right? So let's give him one. Okay. There you go. All right. There you go, man. Jose with Spurs. the second boot. And then, you know, going from the lowest to the highs, Zaman, who was Tottenham's best player in this game with uh, getting the Noisy Neighbor Award? Uh, so I had two candidates for that. Um, for me, Hoybeer just, like, bossed the midfield. Um, with the job he did on, like, uh, on Bruno for that first half and even the tackles he was making uh, throughout the game were, were just, you know, phenomenal. Um, but Ndombele also had an amazing game where he was just, you know, running through that midfield. A couple of those passes he was making were just, you know, really silky smooth. So, uh, but if I had to edge it, I'd probably say Hoiberg. I have no complaints. I actually thought uh, Hoiberg was the, was definitely the best player in the Tottenham shirt. Didn't deserve to be on the losing end. Yeah, I have, I have no arguments against that. I think it's a pretty easy call. Someone, if you have an address for uh, the Spurs uh, trophy cabinet, wherever it is, uh, it, there's a couple of trophies that you can finally add to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah th thank you for that um yeah thanks they do have a chance though uh coming up at the end of this month uh big final against man city i'm sure now that's they're playing for that basically because it's it, the gap is definitely widening for that top four spot zaman you must uh w would you say that you know winning that cup would salvage this season uh, that, that's a that's a really really tough question. Um, I'm, I'm gonna probably say no. Um, without top four and a trophy, I don't really think that this was uh, the season we were looking for. I expect you know all you guys in red to be cheering for uh, Spurs when we uh, we play City, and hopefully we you know we come away with it because man, it would be nice to have something uh, to walk away with from this season because top four doesn't look likely. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see something come out of this, but City's on kind of just a, a tear right now, and they're they're running rampant around everyone. So, uh, you know, not overly hopeful either, right? Might have to take a page out of Leeds' uh, playbook after what happened this weekend. Yeah, they did some damage over there. I have a bit of a two-part question for you, Z. Uh, one, do you think Jose should continue after this season? And two... Does your answer depend at all on what happens in that League Cup final? Okay, that, that's, a, that's a pretty loaded one too. Um, 
So I say today's match has a pretty significant impact on that, that question because before this match, I was pretty hopeful again for top four and a trophy. If that was the case, I would have been giving Mourinho another year. Uh, no problem at all. Without that now, it's a, it's a little bit more challenging to say, yes, just a trophy is enough. Um, I also don't know if like, you know, Daniel Levy, like our chairman, is he going to give him the funds to go in, you know, in the summer, bring in the players you want, buy a couple defenders and, and build your Mourinho squad that that'll go and win something. And if that like, cause we do have a few of the players he wants and we can see that they've gotten better. Uh, the likes of Kane, Son and Dombele, Hoybeard, there's been a couple that have really stepped up. And I think that uh, Dombele has had a massive improvement huge improvement and i think that like you know some of the those uh jabs that Mourinho took it and may have helped so as much as we want to give Mourinho the the stick for for not you know maybe coddling some of the players the way he they expect to be coddled his results are still there um i also know he's on a contract which is expensive to get out of so and we all know daniel levy's a little bit cheap so, okay, maybe we won't get rid of him uh, like right away, which means he's probably going to get another season. But then Levy needs to op- open the coin purse and, and let him spend a little bit. Um, but if you had to ask me, yeah, you got to give him one more year because we're not going to pay him out uh, for his contract. And you, we've got the players. You just get in a few more, get in a couple defenders, and we can do some damage. So I'm pretty uh, – I'm going to use this word hopeful, man. It's the hope that kills you. But, man, I'm hopeful. I, I do think that if Spurs win the League Cup, that they absolutely should continue with Mourinho, simply because I don't think you can ever underestimate the value of what finishing a tournament with a trophy can do and the belief that comes with that, especially when you look at Manchester City's history in the competition. The way they have dominated that League Cup, to go and beat them, I think would be a big statement. And so I think... If they win that trophy, then I do think that uh, Jose should continue. Totally. Yeah, I, I can see that point point of view. You know, like if we can get that, get to the finish line, like I'm, I say I remember. It's been a long time, right? Like it's 2008 was the FA Cup for Spurs um, quite, quite some time ago. League Cup. Oh, League Cup. Sorry. Yeah, man, I'm even forgetting what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just it's been too long. And, and I think these guys need that feeling again. And. Oh, man, I would love, love, love to beat City. I think one thing that, I don't know, that's come out in the news lately as well is talk of Harry Kane potentially departing if, you know, no trophies on the horizon, maybe the signing. So, I don't know, that's going to be a tricky one because if, if Harry Kane leaves, then basically he's saying, I don't have faith that we can win anything. And that's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, that would be really tough if he actually came out and was like, yeah, I'm leaving. This is not happening anymore. I, I would be pretty devastated by that. Um, I think some of the news outlets are, are just embellishing just a little bit on what he's saying. But, you know, I, I do get it. The guy's an absolute world-class superstar and deserves all the trophies in the world. And I just, I hope to God he gets them with Spurs because he's a Spurs man through and through. And uh, I would just, it would break me inside to see him leave for, for nothing. You know, like I, I it, the other part is, is I don't think he's going to leave because I don't think anyone can afford him. Uh, you know, being in a COVID year and things like that, it's just challenging to afford players of his caliber. I, I just don't see it happening. Um, but, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, but I hope not. So Zaman, you know, it's it's been great having you on the show and, and breaking it down. I'm sure you would have loved to have it under slightly better circumstances, maybe like the first result at the end of last year, as opposed to what happened today. But before we let you go, how did you become a Spurs fan in the first place? Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a long, long, long story, which I'll try to make as short as possible. But yeah, you know, I, I've been watching soccer since I was a kid uh, with my dad. I was more into international football, so I was a big English fan. Don't tell the other Spurs fans, but I have an English Rooney jersey. So, I, you know, he, he, was, he was pretty amazing. There's, there's no doubt there. But it's, it's not a United jersey. So, but yeah, so, you know, I was, I was a big English fan. And, uh, you know, a lot of my friends when I was growing up didn't really watch any football. So it was, uh, it was a bit challenging to kind of get into it more. Um, later on, I started, uh, you know, when I moved to Mississauga and I met a couple of you guys, uh, got into it a little bit more. Um, and at the time, one of my favorite players was uh, Peter Crouch. 
I just loved watching that guy play. I felt like he had no business being where he was. And the <laughs> things that he did was just, you know, phenomenal. Uh, I remember him even playing for England a few times. It was uh, it was just really great to watch him do his thing. Including like, yeah, the like, robot you know, dance? Oh, the robot. The robot was phenomenal. But the one thing I'll always remember was that that one, like, 25 yarder that came from like our keeper didn't even touch the ground he just touched one touch it with his knee and banged it in oh oh my goodness yeah yeah they're good memories good memories of uh you know spurs and uh, and peter crouch but man like the the midfield we used to have at that time was like van de vart modric uh we had jermaine defoe what what a club legend that dude just he just scored from anywhere. He he was, uh, yeah, I think. Gareth, Gareth Bale approaching his peak. Oh, man. I, I was a bit devastated when we sold him, but, like, my eyes lit up with the money we made. Um, and actually, my first uh, ever Spurs jersey when I could afford one was an Ericsson jersey. Uh, and I think uh, Carl might remember that, uh, it, remember it, but it's been, you know, teared up and tattered because I wear it everywhere. I just, I absolutely love it. Um, today I'm actually sporting my uh, new green Bale jersey. So uh, yeah, I had to get that before he left. So <laughs> you know, I had to get that one right away. But yeah, it was just uh, you know watching their style of play, uh, them really just going for it all the time. Uh, I really got into it, and uh, it's been a hard couple of years uh, being a supporter. But it's also been a really good couple of years. Uh, you know, making it to the Champions League final was like a dream come true. It was it was unbelievable. Back in 2014, I actually uh, got an opportunity to go to England, and I uh, I went to uh, White Hart Lane. I got to watch Spurs play uh, Everton. Um, it was uh, it was a great game. Uh, I saw a Chelsea Spurs game, and actually I went up to Manchester, if you can believe it. Uh, but I went to the Etihad Stadium, and I got to see a Champions League game of Man City versus Bayern Munich, which was just phenomenal. Wow. Yeah. So it was a pretty pretty great experiences, and like. I honestly, I, I wouldn't change those things uh, for anything in the world. And, you know, Spurs have been with me for so long. I, I don't know how I don't know how to live without them. So, you know, come on, you Spurs, man. Let's go. <laughs> See, it's, it's funny you bring up Peter Crouch, because if you think about his playing style and all those headed goals he scored, like 80 percent of them would be disallowed with VAR today. Oh, for sure, man, for sure. There's like VAR today would would change the game, uh, and maybe he wouldn't be as good as he is. Or you know what? Maybe he'd get a few more penalty calls. Who knows, man? <laughs> He'd need a United shirt for that. Yeah, only Bruno gets those calls. No, nobody else, man. <laughs> Was well, it? I mean, it was awesome having you on, uh, breaking down this match. It took the ribbings like a boss, I must say. Good sport. We are now going to look ahead to the next United match. But for now, Z, obviously we'll have you on some other time. But thanks for joining us for this one. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Enjoy. So, Carl, as we look ahead to United's next fixture, the second leg of the Europa League quarterfinals against Granada, United have a two-goal, two-away goal advantage to carry into Old Trafford. What are your expectations going into this match? Uh, do you think that Ole has an opportunity to get some rest? Obviously, we're going to have some enforced rest for Harry Maguire and Luke Shaw and Scott McTominay. But do you see, with those players missing, any other uh, mainstays in the lineup getting a break? The only two players that I can see getting a break is probably Paul Pogba and Edinson Cavani. Purely because the fixture after Granada is going to be against a very tough physical Burnley squad where you need the likes of a 6-4 foot uh, Pogba and uh, Cavani who can bang it up against some big defenders. And so for those reasons, I would have some changes to give some other players a look in as well. We can expect David De Gea in goal returning uh, with this being the cup fixture. Obviously, he was in for the first leg. And had a clean sheet. He'll be at the back. Obviously, Luke Shaw is suspended. So Alex Tellez will slot in on the left. Victor Lindelof, I would assume, continues in his role. Who do you have coming in for Harry Maguire? So I got Axel Twanzebe. The reason I don't have Eric Bailly is because once he came back from international duty, he 
was put into quarantine because he came into contact with someone who had COVID that automatically ruled him out for 14 days and he had to train in self-isolation. So from a match fitness standpoint, I can't see him being match ready. Mm-hmm. And so if Bai's not there, it's going to be Axel for me. Yeah, I think that's the right call. Then you'll have Aaron Juan Bissaka on the right. Two CDMs, as we mentioned, Scott is suspended. Fred, I would imagine, continues. And is it Matic who slots in next to him? Yeah, Matic for me, he he came on for a little bit in the end of the game, but I think he, he'll slot in there nicely. And then, you know, our front three, this is where I think Pogba gets a bit of a break because he, he also played for France, you know, both games to get his match fitness going. So he's played uh, a few games on the trot. And I would love to see Donny van der Beek come in and get some playing time because the last time he started, he actually played decently well. So hopefully he can he can work on something. He also played for the Netherlands a little bit as well. So uh, get him some game time. You got James on the right. I'll put Donny in the center. And then I'll put Bruno on the left as he's played there a couple of times and he's done well. And good to also get that Bruno-Donny partnership into next gear. And then up top, I could see Mason Greenwood coming in. Uh, he's He's got some good confidence. He scored a couple of goals in his last games as well. So looking Yeah, I think it's safe to say Mason is all the way back. Yes, yes, definitely. I think his confidence is there. All the good work that he was doing on the left without getting any reward, now he's converting them. And he's also getting assists to add on to that. So uh, any anything different you see, Vivek, with the front four? No, I'm in agreement with you. I think the only thing that might be a bit of a debate for Solskjaer and this could be a bit of a wild card option, is because of some of the talk that's been there about Donny van de Beek needing to play a deeper role in terms of his long-term future at the club, does he look at van de Beek and say, okay, let's slot him in in one of those CDM roles and just see how he performs? And then maybe someone else slots in uh, to the forward spots. Maybe you know we have a situation where Cavani starts the first half and then you bring on someone like a Ahmad Diallo and Greenwood goes up central. Yeah, th- th- that's the beauty of having a two-goal lead uh, playing at home. You can try out some of these things. I-, I won't be surprised, Vivek, if that's what happens because Ole is definitely you know, safe when it comes to these kinds of things. And okay, 45 minutes, you negate it. It's nil-nil. And that way you can bring on some of these players. So let's see what happens. It's a good position to be in regardless. Absolutely. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Reminder, we are on Twitter and Instagram at RedCouchBanks. If you enjoy the show, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself and Zaman Ali for this episode, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.